0: All right, folks, why don't we start heading back to our seats? And you're going to have ample time to socialize afterwards. Hopefully, you can hang out, grab a cup of coffee, and continue the conversation. But uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 this morning. And uh, Allie Leeper is going to lead us in the reading of God's Word.
1: A reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you bring us here. And the reality is every single one of us are in the exact same place. We are people in need of your mercy and grace. There's not one person in this room who has it all together And we desperately ask you to meet us where we are, because some of us are here very excited to worship you. Others of us are deeply apathetic or feel like we were once close to you, but now feel very distant. Uh, Others of us are wondering how we ended up even at church today, because we're curious if you even exist or if you can even believe, if we can believe any of the things that are going to be said this morning. But regardless of where we are, we ask that by your mercy you would meet us in your word, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to be looking at the parables Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And they all come out of the opening couple of verses where the Pharisees and the scribes are described as grumbling against Jesus. And it is out of that we have three parables, two of which we're going to take a look at this morning Because they are Jesus' response to the grumbling of the Pharisees. Now, before we get to the parables, I want us to uh, set the stage a little bit. Because we have to ask the question, why are the Pharisees so bothered by Jesus? Because the first two verses, it tells us they come to Jesus. They look at his ministry through a very particular lens. And they understood God, sin human nature and religion to be in a particular way. And what we have been seeing is there has been a constant tension between Jesus and all of these religious leaders for several chapters, and they have been basically saying to him, we don't like the way you do ministry, we don't like the way you do life, we actually find it offensive. And Jesus responds this morning with, let me tell you a parable. Let me tell you a story. And uh, what we begin to understand is this. In order to understand these parables, in order to understand what Jesus is getting at, we kind of have to take a look at who the Pharisees are and the world through which they understood everything. Because some of us have a very uh, skewed understanding of who the Pharisees actually are. They are not religious extremists, and they're not actually bad people. We need to understand when the Romans took over Judea, the people of Israel found themselves under the rule of a powerful pagan government. And the Jewish people broke up into different camps religiously and politically over how to respond to them. So you may have heard of a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they were the educated elite of the day. They were the progressives who said, you know what, if we're going to survive, we need to work with the Romans and not upset them. And in order to do this, you know what they did? They secularized their religion and their faith. So they said, you know, we just need to compromise a little bit. You don't really need to believe in things like the resurrection. We don't have to follow every detail of the laws of Moses. And they essentially said, as long as you're a good person, that's what really matters. And then on the other extreme, you had a group called the Essenes, These are the ultra-religious conservatives. They said, we're not dealing with any of this. We are going to move out into the desert. We're getting away from all of the Romans and all of the secular Jews. And we're going to devote ourselves to monastic life, to obedience of God's word and his laws. They took on vows of poverty. They strictly observed all of the laws as best they could. And you may have heard of a thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scholars will tell you those are the library of the Essenes. And they separated themselves out from the Romans and the Jews who were not as committed to God. Then you had the Zealots, not only the Sadducees and the Essenes, but the Zealots. They were the nationalists. They wanted to organize rebellion and work to undermine and overthrow Roman power and liberate the Jews. And lastly... There were the Pharisees. They weren't conservatives. Uh, I'm sorry. They were the conservatives, but they weren't like the Sadducees. They believed in God's word and obedience to the law, but they distanced themselves from the hyper-spirituality and the asceticism of the Essenes. They were also against the political extremism of the zealots. So they were kind of in this middle ground of religion and politics Do you see how familiar these people are? These are the people who believe there's a right and a wrong. There are moral people. They don't like progressives. They don't like people who take God's holiness and just like chuck it. They are serious about God. But they are also not like the radicals, okay? Politically or religiously, they're not like the ultra-spiritual people who live separated out in the world. They are the religious middle, they're the good guys, and most of the people identify with them, and they were held in high regard. And you know why they are bothered by Jesus? Because we are told that Jesus welcomed sinners, and they are offended by the people Jesus actually hangs out with, because they had an idea. They said, "Man, Jesus, here's what we think you are. You are soft on sin. You don't take God's word seriously." You know what you're doing? You're healing people on the Sabbath, which means you don't take the Sabbath heal seriously. You eat with people who you should not be eating with. And they believed God cares about the good people. Good people are saved and the bad people are lost. And Jesus began his ministry saying, no, God isn't interested in inspiring you to be a better person, a good person, because that's not enough. But Jesus actually comes and says, I want to make you new. It is those who understand their goodness is insufficient, that they actually have nothing to offer to God. They are helpless and hopeless apart from grace. They are the ones that are open to the message of Jesus and they keep coming and they find him. They recognize that God has come to save you because you can't save yourself. This is what they understood. But the Pharisees, they keep looking out and they're saying, you know what? We repent of our sins. And yet, Matthew 21, we're told, Jesus says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And what did Jesus mean by all of this? Jesus is actually trying to tell them, you don't know how lost you truly are. So he tells them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And these are the two parables that Jesus tells them. And when you look at these parables, I want us to think about it in just three ways really briefly this morning. First of all, think about this word lost. Lost. Jesus is saying, you don't know how lost you are. See, The definition of sin that the Pharisees are working out of is just not large enough. Jesus is saying, I actually have a more radical view of sin than you do. It isn't merely just avoiding the bad things, but it's actually living life apart from God. Think about the lost sheep for a second. What is the sheep actually doing? The lost sheep is saying, I don't need the shepherd to take care of me. I can find my own food, my own water. I can protect myself. I can thrive apart from you. You know, we read this at the start of our confession, but Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Jesus is saying this is his definition of sin. We're trying to get away from God, wanting to be our own Lord wanting to be the master of our own lives. And what he's trying to say is sin is far more than just breaking rules and not keeping God's commandments, but it's a desire to be free from him. And we are running from God. And one of the ways you actually keep God at arm's length away, Jesus saying is in this old paradigm is this, you keep most of the rules. You think yourself to be better than you truly are. But Jesus shows up and he says, as it says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous. There is no one who seeks after, the, after God himself. And the Pharisees do not see this. You know, Flannery O'Connor in her book, um, Wise Blood, there's a character, Hayes Motes, or Hazel Motes, and he says something pretty profound here. He says, There was a deep black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus is avoid sin. Avoid Jesus. The way you avoid Jesus is to say, I need to avoid sin. Figure out how you don't sin. And O'Connor is making the point here that when you don't believe you are lost, you never think you need to be found or rescued. So the way you avoid Jesus is to trust in your goodness And believe that you don't need him. And Jesus is saying we are like the lost coin which will remain lost unless someone finds you. And when we believe in our own goodness, we never think we need a savior. And we think through our own morality, through our own goodness, we already have righteousness. And you know what? This understanding of ourselves This is far more pernicious. It is beneath the surface. We don't see it. And Jesus is helping the Pharisees say, do you guys understand what is going on here? Because they cannot understand Jesus' ministry. They're offended by him. And if you're sitting here and thinking, gosh, I don't like all this talk about us being all lost in sin. I mean, how can we have no hope apart from being found in Jesus I mean, this teaching of Christianity, that's, it's distasteful, it's kind of hard, you know? We're hopeless, we're born sinful, we can't save ourselves? I mean, we might even say that's dangerous, it's bad for our self-esteem and our self-image. And people have been saying this stuff since the Enlightenment, right? But think about it, think about this for a second. How do you explain our capacity as human beings for things like selfishness? Selfishness, greed, and violence when we don't believe in sin. Where does evil actually come from then? And the Bible says it starts with us. We are people who are lost. This is what these first two parables teach. We are sinners who are in need of saving and being found. And we are hopelessly lost apart from this. And let me tell you why this becomes so important to believe. Because if you believe this, you know what one of the fruits that starts to develop in our life is? Our attitude toward those around us begin to change. We begin to recognize, we grow in humility, compassion, and kindness. Because there is no one you look down on anymore because you understand yourself. I understand myself as one who is utterly lost. You know, we look around this room and oftentimes we think, man, these people have it all together. They look like things are going great. They look like good people. I'm a terrible person. But the reality is every single one of us in this room are in the exact same place and in need of God's grace and mercy. And this is what the church is about. It's a group of people who recognize this need, who say, I have been rescued by God. I was dead in trespasses and sin. But I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. It's all done by grace. It's nothing I've done. I have nothing to boast about. We are all in the same boat. And we share this beautiful thing that we were once lost and have been found. See? It starts to change us and to shape us. So that's the first thing, lost. But the second thing we see in all of these parables is that there is a search. There is a search. You have in this first parable a shepherd who has lost a sheep. And it tells us he had a hundred sheep, which means this is a pretty sizable flock. If you lost one sheep, only 1% of your asset, right? The owner can do one of two things at this point. You abandon the lost sheep... Or you take the risk of leaving the 99 and commit to finding the one. And you might ask, why take the risk? Just write this off as a loss. You have 99 others. It's not going to ruin you financially. It's just one. But what does the shepherd do? Rather than write this off as a loss, he decides to go on a rescue mission. He searches high and low and is relentless in his pursuit of the lost sheep Until he finds it. That's what it says in verse 5. Why? Because he has compassion. He is concerned. He is worried. And when he finds this sheep, he rejoices, puts the sheep on his shoulders, and carries it home. And the point of the parable is that the shepherd is willing to take all the measures necessary to restore the sheep. And in the parable of the lost coin, you have a woman who has lost one of 10 coins. Notice, now it's 10% of her assets. Both the shepherd and the woman here, they are both diligently looking, finding, until they find what is lost. And what is the point of this search here? It is telling us something. It is telling us about the character of God. It is telling us about the mission of Jesus. It is telling us we who are lost are of great value to God. That you are treasured by God. Think about this. Why do you go out to look for something that you lost? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I opened my AirPods case and I saw there was only the right side of my earbud and I was missing the left one. You know what I started doing? I looked in my bag. I looked all over my desk, turned my office upside down. Why am I searching for this? Because I need the other side, right? It's valuable to me. I need to use this. Eventually, it was in my bag. I I thought I put it in there, but it fell on the side. But you you guys know what I'm talking about. When we think we've lost something valuable, we start looking for it. And you cannot rest until you find it. And Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees who are not searching for the loss. And he's telling them, I am the good shepherd. I am the woman who searches for her lost coin. And Jesus is saying, we have a God who so values us and loves us that his joy is tied to our well-being. He aches over the fact that we are lost. He is worried for us because you and I are treasured by him. And let me ask you, is that your perception of God? Is that who you think God is? Because that is who Jesus is saying God is. And as he criticizes the Pharisees here indirectly, they hear something else in the background. Because the Pharisees knew their Bible. And they understood what Jesus was referencing. Because in Ezekiel 34, in the Old Testament, this is what it says about Bad shepherds. Let me read you a couple of lines here. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or search for the lost they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Jesus is saying, God is speaking about you, Pharisees. Okay? I'm going to come do this. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of this promise. I'm going to take care of this. And this is what Jesus is essentially saying when he says, for their sake in John 17, for the sake of the lost, I'm going to sanctify myself. He's saying, I'm almighty God, and I have bound myself to these people that if they're lost, my heart is broken. I am grieved, and I cannot be happy until you rejoice by being reunited with the Father. And I have given my life for you because I didn't want to lose you. And that is the extent to which he was going to go. God is relentless in finding the loss. The God of the universe delights in you not because you've got your life together, but because he delights in you even in your lostness. We have a God who values us. We have a God who values us. So we have lost We have a search. And lastly, in these parables, we see something that is found. Again, if you go to verses 5 to verse 10, in these six verses, you know what word occurs more than any other? Joy. It occurs five times. Rejoicing, rejoicing, joy, rejoice, joy. If you want to understand what brings heaven great joy, And what makes the angels rejoice? This parable is telling us it is a sinner who repents. Notice it isn't good deeds because that's not going to restore you to a relationship with God, but repentance and being found in Jesus' will. And Jesus is saying joy is the central emotion in all of these parables because you know what? It is the opposite of the grumbling of the Pharisees. And scribes. Do you see this? What brings God joy? You being found. And made right with him. And you know what lengths God was willing to go. To make this happen. Your sin. My sin has to be atoned for. And we know that this is what. Jesus's ministry was all about. And Jesus said. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you know how Jesus accomplishes this? He does it on the cross. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The remarkable thing is the father does not come looking for him. He did not answer his son. He did not rescue Jesus from the cross. And you know why? Because it was through his sacrifice, you and I could be found and brought home. Brought home. Jesus isn't just the shepherd, but he is also the lamb that was slain. He isn't just a woman looking for the coin, but the God who comes with a lamp, the light of the world, who sweeps the floor looking for this lost coin, his treasure. And Jesus became utterly lost in order that you and I could be found. And it is in this story, it is this story that Jesus is saying, you need to understand yourself properly in it. That it is actually an accurate recognition to say, I am lost, but God is searching. And he has found me. In Jesus, and that is the invitation we're being asked to accept. That Jesus is saying, "Do you see this? And this is what I want to offer to you. That I have found you. That you had nothing to offer, but I embrace you with my love. Will you receive this, or will you stand outside and grumble, grumble at God for all the things you you think you're not getting from Him?" Grumble at God for all the things he says in his word that you don't like. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Why don't you put all those things aside for a second and get to the central message I'm trying to tell you. I'm a God who loves you, who embraces you. But it all begins with recognizing I am lost and utterly hopeless apart from you. And this is actually good news. The bad news is actually good news because it is then and only then we begin to see how beautiful Jesus is for us. Would you consider this this morning? Would you consider this this week, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time? Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you're a God who delights, who actually delights to see sinners come to you And be made right. You're a God who comes looking for us, even before we had any inclination of your love for us. That you're a God who is willing to send your one and only Son in order that we would have life. And Father, we ask that this morning we would come face to face with this reality. For some of us, we need to hear this again because it feels like a story that's been told so long ago that our hearts are cold. Others of us need to experience this for the first time. Regardless of where we are, we ask that, Lord, your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to be able to see and comprehend and experience the beauty of this this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.